Tonight's sermon this evening is uh, a continuation of a series that we've been going through as a church, basically doing like questions and answers. So uh, typically what we do is go through books of the Bible, verse by verse or chapter by chapter, theme by theme, but we'll also take time to just pause and essentially ask you like what questions do you have about the Christian faith, about the Bible, about culture, and how it applies to the Bible or the gospel or just our faith in general. And so that's what we're going to continue in tonight. Before I jump into the sermon, I do want to say that we still have room. So uh, as we go through these messages, if you have a question that pops into your mind that you always wanted to have addressed, um, talk to me, talk to Chris, talk to Eddie or Pete, email the church. Um, we will cover it either in a sermon or in a podcast because some, <laughs> some of your questions are like, good, but not 45 minutes of a sermon in, in that they justify an entire sermon on. And that's not a knock on the question, it's just some of them are pretty quick answers. So we do a podcast where we'll just go question by question, theme by theme, and, and, and address them there as well. So um, please keep the questions coming and keep asking because these are fun messages to preach and fun things to prepare for. Uh, today's sermon comes from a question, three questions. So this was a theme, three questions that we got regarding technology and how Christians should interact with it. So let me read you the three questions. One, should a, should a Christian use artificial intelligence technology to create a sermon? More broadly, use artificial intelligence in day-to-day -day work to improve how they are perceived or how they produce. So for those of you that don't know, artificial intelligence is, like it says, uh, technology that thinks for you and can produce outcomes based off what you tell it. Question number two. How should the Big C Church approach the increasing invasiveness of technology into daily life? Example, and I don't know what study this cites, but it sounds pretty accurate. This is from the question. Example, the increasing use of the smartphone. Daily in 2010, smartphones were used 30 minutes per day. In 2023, smartphones are used four and a half hours each day. And then question number three, Biblical ethics as it applies to the concept of individual transhumanism. Now, this is not trans in the gender sense. This is trans in the sense that humans and technology are becoming one. Uh, what's that movie? The Terminator was the older version, and then iRobot was the Will Smith one, where there's this attempt to make humans and technology sort of intersect. And to do so, we could get all the benefits of having a computer be in our brain and have bodies that could re reproduce like machines. And people are really trying to do that. that. That is not the Terminator. That's not the Will Smith uh, iRobot movie. People are really trying to do that. So how should, how should we think about or how should we apply the Bible to people who are trying to do things in regards to transhumanism? All great questions and all touch on the realm of technology. Uh, I'm a bit excited to talk about this because in my full-time work, I work for a large software company, so I deal with technology quite frequently. Um, I'll come right out and say, put my cards on the table. I am not of the Amish persuasion. Um, I think technology is helpful. I use it quite a lot. Um, but as I was preparing for this message, I understood why people go that route and why people decide to say, you know, I'm just going to remove it all and try my best to live as an individual person. So it's a really interesting dichotomy, and um, I think we have to be careful is, is really what, what a lot of what I'll say will fall into the category of take caution as, as to how we use technology. I'll just set the stage right up front and say that uh, the next few statements I'm about to make 
are perhaps the most important of the sermon. This is a quote, I'll read it, and then we can continue on. So, I'll set the stage up front by saying, as a Christian, it is important to recognize the potential dangers that technology can pose to our spiritual well-being. While technology offers numerous benefits and conveniences, it can also become a stumbling block if we allow it to consume our time, our attention, and priorities. The constant connectivity and digital distractions can divert our focus from nurturing our relationships with God and engaging in meaningful interactions with fellow believers. Moreover, the influence, technology, the influence of technology on our values and beliefs must be approached with caution, as it promotes secular ideologies and moral relativism that contradict biblical principles. As faithful Christians, let us be mindful of the impact technology can have on our faith and seek a balanced approach, using it as a tool for good while guarding our hearts against its potential pitfalls. Can anybody guess who wrote that? Tim Keller? John Piper? No names? Anybody have any guesses? Chat GPT. So, there is a technology out there called ChatGPT. It's called a large language learning model. What it does, it learns from all the information on the internet, and you can ask it questions. And so I asked ChatGPT a question. I said, write me a paragraph warning Christians about the dangers of technology. And it wrote me that paragraph. I just read it word for word. So the question I have for you, is that wrong? If I had said, Chad GPT, write me a sermon on technology, and it was biblically accurate, it wasn't you know, anything heretical, it was helpful, it was right, it was true, is that wrong? For me to have an artificial intelligence model like Chad GPT write a sermon for me? Even if I gave it credit and said, you know, I was, had a busy week and Chad GPT wrote it for me, and I just had to get up here and read it, and it was helpful, so is it wrong? Those are the types of questions that we are gonna to have to try to answer as technology becomes more and more prevalent and advanced. So what I wanna to do today is first, lay a biblical foundation for the concept, the idea of technology. I'll talk about ways that it can benefit us, and then I'll talk about how sin can make technology a danger to us. And I'll try to apply, after we lay that foundation, biblical wisdom for how we can navigate both the benefits and the dangers of technology. So first, the origins of technology. We have to, to, to get here, we have to go all the way back to Genesis, the cultural mandate, where in, in the book of Genesis, God tells mankind to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the idea of technology starts and is framed by this cultural mandate where God commands people essentially fill the earth, produce communities, use the things that are the natural materials of the earth in order to provide value to the people that are gonna be reproduced. So you have trees and water and plants and all these natural resources, subdue it, make full use of it. So the idea of subduing things isn't in sense where we get the concept of technology. One basic example you could think of would be how we developed writing techniques. So imagine you're there when the first man and the first woman are walking the earth, and you discover that if you take a rock and you scratch it on another rock, 
you can make marks. This might be graphite or some other stone, right? You just take it and scratch, and you can begin to make marks that, lay, that stay there, that can be read. And you use that to develop language. You use that to do things that benefit God and that glorify God and that benefit mankind. So you can take that little piece of technology in your hand, that rock, and you can develop language. You could write the Ten Commandments. You could make art. You could essentially take the things that God has given humanity and subdue them, make full use of them in order to glorify God and benefit other people. That's essentially even in use today, right? A, a pencil, if you use it in, in our modern world, is just a piece of wood with a little piece of graphite at the end, and you use it to write. That is technology. But that is one type of technology, and I'll talk about three. A pencil, a rock, something that you just take and scribble manually yourself to write something or to draw something, that's what I'll call an asset. Assets are things that are 100% dependent on humans in order to be useful. So a pencil won't write anything itself, right? You have to pick it up and write or draw whatever you want to do. And so as technology advances throughout centuries, you go from things that are assets that require 100% intervention on a human's behalf to things that are uh, augmentation types of technology. So think about it. if you wanted to write a book, in a manual sense, if you just had a pencil, you'd be writing for however many hours it would take to write your book, and using the asset of a pencil, that's how you did it. But then technology that is augmentation or, or building on human capabilities, that's where you get things like in the 1400s, the printing press, or today in, in, in our modern world, a printer. So if you want to write a book and make 10 copies of it or write our discussion guides like we do every week, you type it up and you can print as many copies as you'd like. So that's technology that augments. It makes things easier and saves us time. But what we have today in type, on type of the assets and the augmentation types of technology are technology that automates. So this is where you want to get something done and the technology does 100% or 99% of the work. So or automation would be like our ChatGPT example. I wanted a paragraph warning Christians on the dangers of technology. I typed one sentence, and it wrote the entire thing for me. ChatGPT did most, if not all, of the work. You can use this kind of thinking on multiple fronts. There's a, a Christian author named Andy Crouch. He's written a lot about technology and the ways Christians interact with it. And his example is a hammer, right? A hammer as an asset is you know, something you buy from the hardware store. You just hammer nails in yourself, and you can use it as an asset. Augmentation would be if you get something like a nail gun, where you're more efficient as a person just clicking the trigger, and it shoots nails in in a more efficient manner than you could as an individual person. And then automation would be something like a drone or a nail robot, where you just tell it what to do, and it nails things in for you. Some people have these in their house, right? The little robots that sweep around and, and do the vacuuming for you. That's not necessarily bad. It's just an example of technology that is automating what people normally do. I don't think any one of these three categories, assets, automation, or augmentation are inherently evil themselves. ChatGPT might be helpful if you are a non-English speaker and you're in a pinch and you need to write something that someone can understand in English. Uh, a pencil is super helpful if you want to write something or draw something. These aren't necessarily, in and of themselves, bad things. But if you read Genesis, continue to read, you'll see that the cultural mandate has to be looked at in line with what we also call the fall. 
in the fall, just like the cultural mandate, also applies to how we understand or interact with technology. So, the fall, Genesis 3, 16 through 19. Many of you have heard these verses before. To the woman, he said, this is relaying out the consequences of the fall, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So people bear this curse, right? Adam's cursed, the woman is cursed, but also notice creation is cursed. Our ability to carry out this cultural mandate that God God gave us is now corrupted by thorns and thistles, by pain and by sweat, work will be carried out. So God gave people this cultural mandate, and then when sin entered the world, the ability to carry out that cultural mandate became more difficult. And so when you think about technology, now that sin is into the picture, technology can help us fulfill the cultural mandate, but it can also be corrupt just by the fallen nature of the world. So you're writing with a pencil, and it breaks. Corruption. Or think of something like the internet. The internet can be used to produce massive amounts of Christian resources. Our service right now is streaming on the internet. The internet can also be used to produce and send and distribute pornography, things that aren't helpful for people. So when you take the nature of a cursed world and you combine that with the nature of cursed humans who use the world to do things that are corrupt, that's where technology becomes dangerous. So the the overarching key, the overarching theme when it comes to using technology in a fallen world, subdue the technology, do not let the technology subdue you. Because sin corrupts everything, we have to be careful that we don't become, as Romans says, inventors of evil with technology just as a catalyst to multiply our ability to do things that are contrary to God's will. So to think about how we navigate this cultural mandate in a fallen world with technology, I want to take a step back and actually answer the question that one of the people put as uh, a question in the series, and this is a question that, again, Andy Crouch, who's an author who has written a lot about technology, asked. When we think about technology and the role that it plays in our lives, we have to ask the question, what does it mean to be human? What did God intend and what did God design when he created us to be human beings? That can then help us answer the question, what role should technology play in our lives? So, if you think about that question, I think it's answered pretty directly in Scripture in multiple places, but Jesus speaks directly to it in Mark 12. This is Mark 12, 28 through 31. Jesus is asked, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important of all is hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. 
So Mark 12 is the longest explanation of Jesus answering that question, what is the greatest commandment? And he says it's three things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. That's like your emotional capacity, your heart, your soul. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. That's your cognitive function, your ability to think and process information. And love the Lord with all your strength, your physical body, the body that God created for you to live in. The way that this is related to being human is that we are to develop our godliness and our discipleship across all three of those categories. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. All three of those play into how we grow and mature as disciples. And because we're made in God's image, I think we can intuitively know when that, uh, that, that trinity of, of ways in which God created us to be disciples is off. So for example, you're talking to someone and they've got their phone or their tablet up and they're just like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, just not paying attention to you. It feels off, it feels rude. You're not connecting with them like another human is designed to connect with another human. Or a lot of us experienced this during the, the last couple of years, the difference between streaming a church service online where you might, e you might be able to engage your emotions in your mind, but you're not physically there, it feels different. And it's not a knock on people who, for health reasons, have to be at home or, or stream online, but it is just a reality of, there's a reason why when Hebrews talks about not neglecting gathering, it assumes an in-person service. And so that's why after uh, the government loosened the COVID restrictions, we didn't just say, you know, just stream it, it's fine. You know, you, you get the same thing. You hear the same thing. You can hear the teaching. You can hear the worship. There's something different, right, about being in person. I actually think I, I appreciated what Jerome and Debbie said because that kind of loving one another and being in community, you don't get that if you just get on Zoom with someone every week and see their name pop up in the chat. You get that from being in person, being around them, talking after the service, getting to know them, having the sidebar conversations that you think aren't really doing anything but are actually a profound picture of how God's people are supposed to love one another. I mean, that is Jesus's prayer. By the way we love each other, people will know that we're his disciples. And what a testimony that unbelievers came to a gathering where Christians were there in person. They saw how we loved one another, and they thought, huh, there's something different about those people. That's why being together in person is important, because God created us to love each other and to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the role technology plays in our day-to-day -day activities can help us grow along that path or it can hinder us from being the types of well-rounded disciples that Jesus wants us to be. And scripture has categories that we can look at that help us decide whether technology is helping us or hindering us from being well-rounded heart, soul, mind, and strength disciples. So I'll give you some examples of, of these kind of categories and then we'll talk about wisdom on how to navigate in our day-to-day -day lives, how to navigate these categories. So the first idea is work. We see this from the beginning, that the first man, the first woman, were given the concept of filling the earth and subdue it, working in the garden. This is before sin entered the picture. And so work, by nature, is a naturally uh, godly thing to do, to use the materials that we have in order to produce something that glorifies God and that benefits our fellow man. And then as we know, as we've talked about, right, sin enters the picture, and when sin enters the picture, this is where you get the curses, but this is where you also get what's described in the Bible as toil. 
You can read about toil in Ecclesiastes, toiling under the sun. Toil is different from work in that it's a meaningless, exploitive type of work that hurts either the worker or the recipient of the work itself. So an example of toil. Toil is what happens when you have people in factories churning out clothes at massive scale, using machineries to fulfill the demand that a clothing brand has gotten, putting themselves at massive risk and not making a livable wage. Fashion brands have actually been caught creating these kinds of environments. There was one example in Bangladesh where 1,100 workers died after the factory they were working in, which was unsafe, collapsed on them. So they're toiling in this factory to make clothes, to fill the desires of people, but they ultimately don't benefit from the work that they're doing. They don't get a livable wage, and they're putting themselves at risk in order to fulfill the demand that the company has set for them. Work in that example would mean I can work a, a, a hard but, but livable shift. I make enough money to feed my family, and I can rest and worship God and provide for those around me. Toil is when people are put in exploitive, unsafe conditions and are ultimately doing something that benefits someone else. So when we're buying and looking at the latest fashion trends, when we, it seems so convenient for us that we can go online and just hit a button and that new trendy thing that we want is just shipped to our house immediately, we have to be careful that what might seem as convenient for us in a good use of technology might mean toil for someone else. And technology can be a catalyst for both of those. It can make our work more efficient, but can also make toil more prevalent. Another concept that the Bible talks about that we should navigate or think about is the idea of rest. God rested from the beginning. It's, it's again, kind of the part of the pre-fall nature of the world. God gave people the Sabbath principle, rest one day of the week, remember who God is, remember that you are a person created in his image, but you are a person. You have limited capacities and you should rest to remember that. And technology can be a great catalyst for rest. Uh, I bought a new mattress last year. Praise God, I, I love it. Air conditioning, praise God, love it. Lazy Boy furniture, recliners, all these ways that people think of things that help us rest more efficiently. And there are things that also make our time more efficient. For example, if I wanna to talk to somebody, uh, I can pull my phone out of my pocket and find their number and call them. I don't have to drive to their house and knock on their door and, and actually try to physically converse with them. I think that's a good thing because it allows us to save time. It, it, doesn't, it means that if I want to talk to Eddie, I don't have to jump on my bike and ride a couple miles to his house. I can just call him. It makes my life more efficient. But while technology can save us time, like being able to call someone without having to physically go to them every time you want to talk to them, technology can also be a catalyst for what Proverbs calls sloth. So rest is done to make work more efficient. It's done thoughtfully. It's done in a rhythm of, I work this amount of time, and then I rest so I can recover, and then I go back to work. Sloth is done to avoid work altogether. So this is when you can't put down the Netflix account or the video game. I'm sorry, I, I like video games, but it, it's a real reality. When you're just doing something mindlessly, and you can't turn away from it. Social media, even your Kindle book that you're reading and you just pick it up and you're, you're reading and before you know it, it's been hours, sometimes a whole day. It's like, ah, woke up at 10 a.m., I've had this phone in my hand and now it's 6 p.m. Where did the day go? That's sloth. When you're mindlessly consuming something 
It's not rest where you're trying to recover to go back to doing productive work or thoughtful activity. You have a piece of technology that is keeping you stuck in a pattern that you might not be aware of. So in addition to avoiding work, sloth can also catalyze our exposure to sin. I've experienced this, so I'm, I'm saying all of these examples as someone who lives them and tries to navigate them firsthand. But you've ever been scrolling your phone, looking at maybe social media, and all of a sudden something super inappropriate pops out, and you're like, I wasn't looking for that, but it's there, right? Or you're scrolling your phone, and all of a sudden you find yourself buying things that you weren't thinking about buying. But then the package arrives three days later, and it's like, oh, yeah, I did see that thing on, and I just hit buy, and it, it's here, because it's so quick. And it's designed to be that way. It's designed to get you to do things that are impulsive. And when you're in a mindless state, and you see something cool, like, ooh, click, and you bought it, and you've perhaps wasted money or resources that you could have used in a more godly manner. So what we need to navigate these categories, work versus toil, rest versus sloth, is godly wisdom. And I'll give you one more example, and then we'll talk about some wisdom and how to navigate these categories. The final one, virtue and vanity. Virtue <clears throat> is the development of godly character. It's doing things that make you more Christ-like. Oftentimes, it comes through physical, actual work. Proverbs 31 talks about a virtuous woman who in many ways loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. She does things. She is things. She becomes things. She uses her heart, soul, mind, and strength to love God and to love her neighbor. Vanity is the appearance of those things without actually doing the work. So, for example, Proverbs 31, this is before you get to the virtuous woman, but Proverbs 31 talks about the idea of speaking up for the poor, being an advocate. It says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of those who are destitute. Open your mouth and judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. So it's encouraging this virtuous work of using your physical body, engaging your actual emotions, using your mind to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. That is a virtuous thing. Vanity, though, would be when you just do the appearance of those things. So instead of opening your mouth for the mute, just tweet. Tweet from the comfort of your own home. Instead of defending the rights of the poor and needy, change your social media profile picture to whatever the latest cause is. It's the black square, it's pro-life, it's I care about this or that. It's not actually doing something, it's just having the appearance of doing something. And it's not that those things are inherently bad, but it's when those things replace biblical virtue. When vanity replaces virtue, the technology is subduing us. We are not subduing the technology. So how do you know the difference between work and toil, rest and sloth, virtue and vanity? I think we are all in a day-to-day -day tension of trying to live between those things. And in a word, it's wisdom. We need wisdom to be able to navigate how technology can either grow us towards godliness or grow us towards ungodliness. And I would encourage you, in the spirit of trying to uncover the Bible's wisdom, I did this in order to prep for this sermon, read the book of Proverbs and just highlight every time you read something that you think applies to our use of technology. And I think there are tons of ways 
if you read through Proverbs, that you'll find the ancient wisdom from Proverbs applies to our modern day life. Because truly, as the Bible says, there's nothing new under the sun. And so there's a lot of wisdom in Proverbs that applies to how we use technology. And I did this, like I said, and I'll, I'll just close by giving you three categories, three general findings that I found most prevalent as I read through Proverbs and just highlighted and said, yep, that applies, that applies, that applies. We've talked about two of them and there's one that's new. So let's start with the new one. The first is the theme in Proverbs. There's many different ways that it's written there, but the warnings in Proverbs against careless or many words. Proverbs 12, 13, an evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. Proverbs 13, 3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, the one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 14, 5, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Proverbs 18, 17, the one who states his case first seems right, until the other comes and examines him. So the wordings here are first, that using a lot of words has a potential to bring us into sin and into ruin. And if we use those words carelessly, we could mislead other people, we could put ourselves at risk, and it's also not, it's not wise to believe all of the words that we see out there from other people. And what's particularly dangerous that in our modern day context, we have technology that makes it so easy with the, the just couple taps from your thumbs to broadcast what you think about anything at any time to a large audience of people. And oftentimes the way you see this play out is there's some major events, some major tragedy, and people feel the need to speak up, post on your social media profile, make a Facebook post, go on Instagram, go on Twitter, let us know how you feel. According to Proverbs, there's the potential for that to lead you to ruin. Using your many words just all the time, firing off what you think about everything is not wise. And it's not that we never speak up, there is a time to speak, as Ecclesiastes says, but if we just speak carelessly, throwing our words into the void, we have the potential to create what Proverbs calls folly. We wanna be Christians who promote truth, who promote wisdom, and not what the Bible would categorize as folly. That's why the idea, I think, of Proverbs 18:17. this one I, I really anchor on, because it's so easy to create things that sound good, that sound like what people's itching ears wanna hear, but really might just be folly. And if you think about the example of Proverbs 18:17, this is in a modern, this is, this is in their ancient context where examining someone meant you were probably there in person. So someone says something once, but then someone in person in a real life situation can come and examine it and see if what they're saying is really true. The challenge that this creates in our modern context is we have technology that allows you to create a reality or create things or be places without necessarily physically being there. And this is increasing the risk for people to be led astray and for simple people who believe everything they hear, as Proverbs says, can be led astray by folly without giving thought to what happens in real life. So an example of this, and this is one I think hopefully a lot of us have caught on to, if you get an automated email or a phone call and it's a recorded message and someone says, I'm in a really bad situation, I need you to wire me $1,500, please, you know that that's a scam. I hope you do. But here's the, the, the curveball that is coming quite rapidly. 
it is very easy now for people to create technology, people with technology, to create things that are much harder to decipher. So for example, let's say that I wanted to convince you that something crazy happened at Eternal City a few weeks ago. And this crazy thing involves Pete, because I don't like Pete, and you shouldn't like Pete either. So let's say I wanted to convince you the last time Pete preached, he has no regard for the pulpit, he doesn't respect the word of God, and he brought an animal on stage. It was a total, total clown show. With no skills, with no intervention from an actual person with any skills or without paying anybody, within 15 seconds, I can create evidence that shows that Pete had an animal on stage. Took me 10 seconds. That's right, Eddie. How, how could you, Pete? What do you have to say for yourself? You have to... So like a, this, this, just like ChatGPT, took me, I just said, put a sloth next to Pete, and it put in a sloth. So imagine if I really didn't like Pete, and imagine if you didn't like Pete, and maybe there's a shred of truth in there. Maybe Pete preached on sloth, but he didn't have a sloth on stage. Within 15 seconds, someone creates that image, they put up a misleading headline, local pastor talks about sloth, there's a picture of Pete next to a sloth, and people are catalyzed into folly. People believe it. They go after it. And in our modern context, it is so easy to create that with a couple clicks. And so think about that as the election season approaches, as the controversial issues of the day continue to swirl, whether you want to talk about Target or the president or COVID, whatever the hot button issue is, it is very easy to create folly. But when you see those things, especially in 2023, just on social media, remember the ancient wisdom of Proverbs 18:17. One seems right until another comes and examines. I would encourage you all, and us all, and myself, to, as much as we can, rely on eyewitness accounts. People who were there in person, people who go to this church, can validate whether or not there was a live animal on stage. And we could all validate that that actually did not happen. But for someone who's not around the community, they see these types of things and they can believe them. So we have to be careful. One seems right until another comes and examines him. The simple believe everything, as Proverbs says. And as words and images and audio, there's even technology now that can create things that sound like someone else's voice. As all that is multiplied, we have to apply the ancient wisdom of Proverbs. Another area we have to think about is how technology, like I said, can lead us towards rest or it can lead us towards sloth. This again, some wisdom from Proverbs, Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Proverbs 12:11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but whoever follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. So like I said earlier, the difference between rest and sloth, sloth is done mindlessly. Rest is done mindfully. So I want to 
rest from my job so I can wake up and go back more refreshed, or I want to take a rest on vacation so I can be more refreshed when I interact with people. But sloth is mindlessness. Technology, like I said, can be a catalyst to either one of those things. In particular, from Proverbs, technology can catalyze us towards worthless pursuits. So while it is a blessing that we have cars that can drive us five or 10 miles, that we won't have to spend our entire day walking somewhere if we want to go five or 10 miles, in theory, the time that we save from that drive could be used towards godly activities or it could be used on worthless pursuits. So if you look at the ant in Proverbs, right? The ant is wise. It uses its mind to think about the week ahead. It uses its body to prepare and get resources ready. And it loves the Lord with its body, soul, mind, and strength. The foolish person, though, uses mindless pursuits like scrolling on your phone and just looking at content as it's presented to you. I've talked about that a couple times now. I don't necessarily think scrolling is sinful by nature, scrolling Twitter, scrolling Facebook. But maybe you're like me, and you notice that in your own life, the more you scroll, the harder it is for you to meditate or pray or think deeply about something that isn't 140 characters. Next time you're at the grocery store, just look around at people. Most of them are just mindlessly looking at their phone. Some people, even when they get to a stoplight, just naturally pick it up and look and then put it down. The challenge with that and we read it up front, is that biblically speaking, John Piper has a whole series, I think, of messages or, or blogs on this. We read the, the 2 Corinthians 3.18 verse up front. We become what we behold. 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about this idea of beholding the glory of the Lord. We are transformed into that same image. That's from beholding the glory of the Lord. If you are beholding snarky and inappropriate or just mindless content, don't be surprised when it's difficult to pray, it's difficult to focus, it's difficult to engage in deep conversation with another person because God designed your mind to do more than what technology allows it to do. And loving God with all of your mind means being mindful of the content you consume, even if it is just while you're at a stoplight or while you're sitting on the couch, or while you're getting ready to go to bed. Be mindful of what you consume, because we become what we behold. And just as technology can save our time with doing things, like being able to text someone quickly from our phone, it can also waste our time on what Proverbs calls mindless pursuits. So we have to subdue the technology, not let the technology subdue us. I'll give you a final theme from Proverbs, and then we'll go with some closing thoughts. Um, the final theme, we've touched on this already, the idea of vanity. Proverbs 10:12, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 11:18, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. I had one more, but that's okay. I'll read it from here. Proverbs 13:7, one pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another person pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. So vanity is the appearance of wealth, right? It's the appearance of wisdom. It's the appearance of whatever you want it to be, the appearance of really caring about the poor, but it's not actually, uh, it's, not, it's actually empty. And that's why I think up front, when I, when I gave that example, is it wrong for me to have ChatGPT write the first paragraph of my sermon? 
I think it is because it doesn't profit me anything to do that, to just type into a computer, write me a paragraph on this. I don't get the virtue that I would get by engaging my heart, soul, mind, and strength to read Proverbs, to consult other commentaries, to talk to people in our congregation about what they think about this topic, to actually think and pray through what I want to talk about. And if I just type things into a computer and the computer gives me back what I need, I am then creating a dependence on technology. And in our context, dependence is profitable. So this is the overarching point that covers whether it's vanity, whether it's sloth, whether it's all the dangers of technology, they are all covered by this overarching theme of dependability. In the US, almost all technology is created to make someone money. Whether it's your car, your phone, your TV, your social media, the people that are producing those things do not care broadly. There's probably believers that work at those companies. I, I work in technology, so I don't want to throw myself in there. But broadly, they don't care whether you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They want you to buy the next thing, sign up for the next app, buy the next package, renew your subscription. And those apps especially don't care from a social media standpoint if they catalyze you into sin, as long as you keep using it. So Facebook and Instagram don't care if they ruin your relationships, if they make you bitter or angry or pessimistic, as long as you're still logging in. And we felt the effects of this during the pandemic when people were isolated and not around each other on a regular basis. Misunderstanding was multiplied. Relationships were polarized because people saw images like Pete with a sloth on stage and thought, he really believes that. Or that pastor or that person or that presidential candidate really believes that or really does that. And if you apply that to COVID or race or mass or politics, that's the kind of thing that was happening. There was content that was kind of right that people were reading. They weren't interacting with each other on a regular face-to-face, day-to-day basis, and people were polarized. So in 2023, in the spirit of wisdom from Proverbs, I want to encourage you as much as you can, engage with real people face-to-face to talk about real issues and get involved in your community with real people like we have with the food truck or the community cleanup or the uh, monthly homeless outreach ministry we're doing. There are opportunities to actually get involved with real people. The reason I'm encouraging this is because it takes very little godly usage of your heart, soul, mind, and strength to scroll your phone and just be angry at things. It takes a significant amount of your heart, soul, mind, and strength to engage with real people in a real setting talking about how the gospel applies to real issues and using your real body, your real emotions, your real mind to try to solve those problems. If you're thoughtful with technology, it can be a massive help. Look at the, the way that we are actually doing this service right now. I'm speaking through a microphone that's amplifying my voice. There are lights that are making the lighting better. We are live streaming so people who couldn't make it out today can see it. There are thoughtful ways to use technology. If you have an end in mind, that's godly. If you engage it mindlessly with no end in mind, there's a good chance that the technology will, will subdue you. You will not subdue the technology because the people that create it want to create dependence and broadly speaking, don't care whether you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I want to close by saying that in all of this, there is grace. In a world that is corrupted by sin, from a people standpoint and from a resources standpoint and from a technology standpoint. From the beginning, God planned to send Jesus into the world to deliver us. And Jesus was sent into the world and he loved the Lord with all his heart, 
with all his soul, with all his mind, and with all his strength. He died on a real cross. He interacted with real people. He died a real death and experienced a real resurrection so that we could remember what he did for us by taking communion on a week-to-week basis. One of the most famous people um, from a technology standpoint and from a actually business standpoint is a man named Larry Ellison. Larry Ellison is credited with founding a company called Oracle. Oracle is the second largest software company in the world. And Larry Ellison is a multi-billionaire, billionaire with a B, like 150 billion is his, around his net worth. His uh, biography is called The Difference Between God and Larry Ellison. Subtitle, God doesn't think he's Larry Ellison. Subtext, Larry Ellison might think he's God. And to some degree, I could understand why he would have a God complex, because his entire life, there's been no problem that he couldn't solve. With enough technology, with enough money, with enough developers, with enough smart people around him, he's created a billionaire uh, lifestyle for himself. He owns a private island. He's lived the dream. But the end that you and I and Larry Ellison and Albert Einstein and every other person, no matter how smart they are, will face is we all die. And we will face judgment. There is one time for man to die and then face judgment. Technology, in all of its usefulness, in all of its godly usefulness, will never solve the most significant problem facing all of us, and that is sin. Jesus came with a real body and real flesh and blood to unify us back to God, to help us defeat our sin, and to allow us to use things like technology to subdue the earth, to fill it like we were created to, and not be subdued by technology, but ultimately not be subdued by our sin. So as we take communion, let's remember Jesus. Let's remember what he did for us. Let's use wisdom to navigate the world that is ever-changing and ever-evolving, but ultimately, there is nothing new under the sun. So I would encourage you, as you engage technology, think through what is wise. Apply the ancient wisdom of the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself and use technology as a help in that regard. Let's pray. We're going to worship, and then we will take communion. Lord, we thank you for the the real work that Jesus accomplished, the real ends to which we've been delivered from, and the real ends in which we can apply the resurrection of Jesus. We can love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength in all the areas of our life, including those that are digital and physical and everywhere in between. God, I pray that we would each be filled with your spirit so that we could lead lives that are full of wisdom, that we would each turn from our sin, that we would embrace Jesus and his sacrifice for us, that we would embrace being filled by the Spirit to navigate a world in which is ever-changing and ever-evolving. Help our minds, our souls, our spirits, our hearts to be filled with love so that we can obey you in every area of our life and we can recognize and remember what Jesus has done for us. We pray these things because he has made a way for us, because he sacrificed so that we could know you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.